Galatians. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, it's recorded at least two occasions that he traveled throughout the region of Galatia um, preaching to the churches there. We don't know what specifically cities or churches are included in Galatia. Um, But he spoke to them on multiple occasions. And now, after being there in person and when they had received the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ and they received it so... um, excited and they were loving it was just warmly received now Paul's having to write a letter to them because they've left base they've they've departed from the truth there have been men who've come in among them teaching something different um, and they're teaching uh, that in order to be saved you had to be Circumcised. You had to have a change in your physical flesh. All the men had to be circumcised. Um, that you had to observe certain days, the, the Sabbaths, the moon, uh, the, the monthly Sabbaths, the uh, festivals, the Sabbath years, all the things under the law um, that they had to keep part of it. Jesus is good, but we got to do other things too. Um, so at least two that are mentioned in here specifically as they said you had to be circumcised and they now observed these specific days and weeks and months Um, and so you have these men who as Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.17 these men who desired to be teachers of the law but they didn't understand what they were teaching there was a a respect that came among the Jews if you were a, a rabbi, a teacher, a master, right? There's a prestige that came upon that. And so men who came seeking to be teachers of men and have the respect and admiration of men were coming and teaching something different than the true gospel. They were perverting it, which means to, to twist. And that's what's described there in um, chapter 1 and verse uh, 7. They that some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel. Trouble, that trouble means to, to agitate, to roil, stir the pot, and pervert the gospel, to twist it, to rest it, to turn it back on itself, to corrupt it. Okay, that's what's that's what happened. So they came in among them. That's bad enough. But the real problem is that the Galatians listened. Right? They per- persuaded by what they heard, and they started adopting those things. So they started getting circumcised. They started observing these days and months. They started to keep part of the year. Now part of the motivation that these men came and taught this is because they, as teachers, feared persecution. So that doesn't make much sense. If you were a Jew, and you were teaching that Jesus Christ is the Christ, and the law has been accomplished and there's no need for it to be done among the Gentiles, I'm believing Jews hated your guts. You want an example of that? Go look to before Paul was pulled by God into his service. He hated the guts of every Christian, right? Men, women, and children, he'd go into the houses, haul them off to jail, and when it came time to put them to death, he said, yep, they're part of this way. Okay. So there is a real danger at this time of being associated with Christ. Well, 
What if we just water it down a little bit? What if we kind of take the sting out of it so maybe it'll be more palatable, right? Well, that's exactly what these teachers were doing. They were trying to take away the reason to be persecuted. And so they said, well, Jesus is good, but if you just keep the law too, then we won't upset everybody and they won't persecute us. And I'm getting that from the end of the chapter in Galatians. It says, For as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, that they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Okay? They're trying to avoid a hardship, and so they're corrupting the gospel to make it easy on themselves so they can be teachers of men and have respect and followers of them and have the best of both worlds, so to speak. Okay, so the Galatians believed them. They've started adopting these practices. Um, now, Paul can't be everywhere that he's gone and taught, right? If you go track the miles between these destinations and the difficulty of these journeys, he's traveling thousands of miles over years. And so when someone comes in and teaches something that's wrong, he's, he's not there immediately to call it out and shut it down. Okay? And so it's already got a well root in here, and so he is having to send this letter and giving them a multitude of reasons why what you're doing is wrong. Okay? So how does his response start off? His response is initially that the gospel that he spoke, the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't man-made. All right? He didn't learn it from men. It was revealed to him directly by God, by Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is an apostle, is because Jesus appeared to him personally on multiple occasions and told him what it is he was to go and teach. All right? And then he gives his history about that, of saying that since he's revealed it to me, you can see that of when I was called there on the road, you know what I went and did? I went and preached. You know how long? For three years before I made my first trip down to Jerusalem to visit with any of the apostles. Now, is that the pattern that you had among the Jews, right? If you wanted to be a master or a rabbi, you had to be schooled. Right? Do you know where Saul was when he was born in Tarsus. I mean, that's, that's really far away from Jerusalem. That's, it's on the coast of the Mediterranean, south, southern Turkey, if you will, about 400 miles from Jerusalem, at least according to the pen, you know, a little chart on the back of mine. All right, 400 miles. He traveled to Jerusalem as a young man to go sit under the feet of a leader, a teacher named Gamaliel, so he could learn how to be a Jew, how, to, how he could do it. And he was According to their standards, he was very good at it. He excelled more than many his equal. And I'm paraphrasing this. Y'all go read the whole letter. All right? But he went to go learn and sat at his feet to learn and learn and learn and learn from other men. Right? Is that what happened when he was called by God? No, he went and preached. Immediately. He went and preached for three years. And then he made his first trip down to Jerusalem. All right? And so while he's there, he's only there for 15 days. A little over two weeks. And the idea is there is that I did not learn it from men. It was revealed to me directly by God. Therefore, if it's revealed by God, can men change it? No, right? If you're teaching men's teachings, men's teachings change quite a bit, right? I won't get political. Trust the science. Does science change? Men's understanding does. Right? So what we call science is our current understanding at the time. Right? All the scientists several hundred years ago knew the world was flat. Right? There's a few chuckleheads today who still don't get that, but still. Right? Men's understanding can change. And so if you're teaching something that's originating in men, it can be changed. 
But if you're teaching something that originated with God, does God change? No. All right? So the source was God, and so men don't have the right to change it. All right? So these men who are coming in behind him, he's saying, one, they don't have a right. All right? Now, he uses some really strong language when it talks about if anybody comes to teach a different gospel, it says they should be accursed. All right? To be accursed, literally, it means to be thrown out. All right? To be cast out of the, of the church, whether you're a member and you're teaching that, whether you're a minister. But there's another implication with that, and that is when Jesus at the final judgment is separating, right? On one, he says to those, his sheep, enter into the kingdom prepared for you, right? And on the other, is depart from me, ye cursed. It is a very serious thing to try to teach something other than what is true and accurate about the Son of God and what he did. Okay? And so you and I need to be very much in the Word of God so we can be on guard against somebody trying to teach us something that's not true and not consistent with it. All right? So he says that anyone comes, whether, whether we come back ourselves. Paul says, I'm not special. As long as I'm preaching what is true and accurate, what I've already told you, if I come back and say something different, he says, chuck me out. If an angel appears and teaches something different, ignore him. If any man comes and teaches you something different, let them be accursed. All right? And so he gives his history there of how he was the Jew's Jew. He was, he was the man, right? Of anybody who would be advocating for keeping the law, don't you think Paul would have been qualified to do that? Right? Paul knew it, right? He, he, he knew the law. He was great at it. He was very zealous for it, so much that he was persecuting the church. And so if keeping the law was a requirement, don't you think that he would have been the one to bring it forth? But he didn't, all right? And so he's given that background. Here's what he was. He would have been the ideal person, but he didn't, all right? So the message wasn't taught to him by men, wasn't taught to him not even by the apostles, right? Right? There's, there's, there's a pecking order in people's minds. Right? Well, if, if I go to so-and-so, so-and-so must be right. right? Well, people could put the apostles up on that pedestal. Right? If you read enough about the Scripture, you realize the apostles are men. That's right. They made a bunch of mistakes, just like you or I would. Right? What made them special is that God chose them and gave them a message to deliver. Right? That's what made them special. But they were still men. And so here he said... I wasn't taught this message of men, not even by the apostles. All right? So three years I was teaching it consistently, not changing it. And then I go and visit to them, and certainly not enough to learn a whole new doctrine. You know? Y'all ever tried to learn the whole Bible in 15 days? I sure couldn't. All right? All right. So that's his initial response. This is not a doctrine of men. It's of God. I wasn't taught it of men. All right? His second response is, I've already had to deal with this issue before in my home church, right? He was at Antioch, right? That's where they were first called Christians, right? That's where Paul and Barnabas started out from. That's where they were leaving when they were going on all these trips. They'd go back to Antioch. You know what happened at Antioch? Some folks from down near Jerusalem 
came for a visit. And you know what they started teaching those folks in Paul's home church? You can't be saved unless you're circumcised. All right? Now, Paul was there, right? And it says in Acts that there was no small disputing, right? He was not going to tolerate it. And so it says he was led up by revelation. So the Lord told him, you need to go down to Jerusalem. All right? So he and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem. And this is 14 years later. You wonder how long Paul's been preaching. It doesn't mention Galatians until after this period. So he'd already been preaching more than 17 years before he made his first visit to Galatians. All right? This is not, it's easy to read through Acts and just kind of miss the passage of time. He spent like two years in Corinth, another couple years in Ephesus. This man is preaching for years and years and years. And so after 17 years from that road on Damascus moment to now he's going down to Jerusalem again with Barnabas and they've got this issue, this exact issue of, okay, I've dealt with this issue and I went to the apostles, right? Those who folks seem to put up on a pedestal you know what? I told him what I've been doing. I did it in private. You know, I wasn't trying to make a great show about it. I even brought a Gentile with me who wasn't circumcised. Titus. Right? You ever heard of Titus? Right? He was Paul's buddy. He was you know, one that was working with him. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. He wasn't circumcised, and so he's coming. So you'd think that if I go to address this issue, and I'm bringing one who's not circumcised, that if you had to be, what do you think the apostles would have said? You've got to circumcise him. But he wasn't, right? They didn't make Titus get circumcised. And in fact, when they heard what Paul was doing, they said, this is good. He said they didn't add anything in conference to me. They didn't change what he had been teaching, right? They saw that the Lord is blessing him to meet, to teach and preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, just like Peter is being blessed to lead the charge for the Jews. So they gave him the right hand of fellowship. says, go on, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. So that, that appeal to the authority of, I've dealt with this. We went and talked about it with the apostles. And they didn't change it. The idea is, so who are these men who came to talk to you that they somehow have more knowledge about Judaism, they know more about Christ and the apostles? What, what, is, their, what is their authority that they're appealing to? Right? So he's, he's showing them the lunacy of how it's just crazy to listen to these guys. He says, and not only that, I had to deal with it a second time with an apostle when he was the problem. So years later, so went back up. So he's at Jerusalem. They have the conversation. They leave him on the way. The apostles send a letter to Antioch that's saying, we know some folks came from down here. We didn't send them. We're sorry for the trouble they caused. You don't have to do what they say. You know, abstain from fornication and from things strangled and from drinking blood. You know, that was about all they said. You know, and those are, those are obviously consistent with not pursuing the things of the flesh and pursuing after the Spirit. So the last thing he said is remember the poor. All right, so... And, and here's a couple witnesses that were sending from Jerusalem to verify this. All right? So they go back. And so sometime later, the Apostle Peter comes for a visit. All right? And he's enjoying being in Antioch. Right? And he's, he's mingling with both Jews and Gentiles. They're all of one faith. Right? We're all Christians at this point. There's, that wall has been broken down. And so they're sitting around the supper table eating together. Now, as a Jew, were you allowed to eat with a non-Jew? No, that was contrary to the rabbinical law. Right? That's one of those layers that was added in there. I don't think you'll find that in the text. But that was one of those things about the, the Jews is that they would take, here's the law, the pure law, and then they start adding, this is what Rabbi so-and-so says, and then his follower, this is what Rabbi so-and-so says, and Rabbi and Rabbi and Rabbi and Rabbi. You've got all these different rules, and that's what Jesus was upbraiding when he says, by your traditions, you're making the law void. 
We're saying it's okay to give all your stuff away as long as you don't have to take care of your parents, right? That was an idea of, well, your tradition is saying you can get out of, scot free, out of jail scot-free, whereas the law says honor your father and mother, right? That's, they're contrary, but that was how they were doing it. And so Peter is now sitting down and eating with Jews and Gentiles, right? It's a good thing, right? Until some folks from down south, from Jerusalem, come in, and Peter, Apostle Peter, Starts fearing what people think. And so he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to eat with you anymore. And I, I withdraw. He goes back to adding, acting like they're not clean. Now, the Apostle Peter knew, right, that there's no division, right? God sent a special revelation to him, that form of that sheet that came down with all the animals. They were unclean animals. And he said, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I've never had anything unclean come into my mouth. I won't do it. And he does it three times, and Peter eventually gets the message he's talking about the Gentiles, because that's when Cornelius is going to call him to his house, and he will see you know, a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon these Gentiles. That was a reason. The reason the physical, you know, visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit was given is so that those Jews would recognize that God included the Gentiles. Right? He gave that sign. This is what will happen when my believers, okay? So they could understand it wasn't just the Jewish people anymore. So Peter knew that. He knew that. And yet, people come, and for fearing men, he changed his behavior. Now, as a leader, do you know what happened? He caused a lot of trouble because people looked at him for example. So much that even Barnabas, Barnabas, that's, Paul, that's Paul's traveling buddy. Years and years and years and years, they've been traveling together, teaching the truth of the gospel and now this apostle came, and he's off base, and he's led even Barnabas astray. Right? And so, um, what does Paul do? He's saying, you know, I've, I've dealt with this. I've de this is the second time I've dealt with this. I went to his face, the apostle, and told him that he was in the wrong. Right? And it gives you the reason there at the end of chapter 2 that he says, uh, I said unto Peter before them all, this was publicly, that if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews... Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He says, we're no longer under the law. You know that. Why are you trying to add pieces onto them? All right? We who are Jews by nature and not the sinners of the Gentiles, he says, so we as natural Jews, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law. He says, you, you cannot be found just under the law. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to show you that you're not just, that you cannot keep the perfect standard, right? There's no one who's going to be found righteous and just under the law, and that's what the, the rest of this uh, third chapter is going to be about. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, all right? He says, but if we try and blend these two concepts together, then we're just making a, a mess of it, right? One that's to teach me that I'm a sinner, and the other that Christ is victorious and has done it all. I don't need both, all right? It's making a, a, a mess, all right? For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I made myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loveth me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So the idea is that if you could be found righteous under the law, there was no point for Christ to come. 
And we know that's not the case. You cannot be found righteous under the law. All right? So, that brings us to chapter 3, which is where we left off last time. It says, oh, foolish Galatians. All right, what's, what is foolish there? Um, there is it's a compound word. I think I wrote it down somewhere. I don't know where it's at. Um, it basically means not discerning, not understanding. Um, you've, been, you've been deceived. A foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And to bewitch is to, to fascinate you by a false representation. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently, evidently been set forth and crucified among you? All right. You were taught the truth plainly. So much so as if you were sitting there and watched Christ be crucified by Paul's teaching. Right? You, he had it plainly, and yet someone has led you astray that you would not um, follow the truth anymore. He says, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. All right? So he's, he's addressing the problem here is that these are Gentiles. This is a Gentile part of the world. I mean, there may have been a few Jews there, but you know, later it'll say that they were serving um, things after the manner of their fathers, which were no gods. And so then, when you were doing that, you weren't keeping the law, right? When did the Holy Spirit come, right? And at that time, there was, there was often a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit appearing, right? When did it come? When, it, when you were keeping the law? Well, you weren't keeping the law before. You were Gentiles, and those of you that were, you weren't keeping it perfectly, did it come? No. But it came when he came and taught and they heard the truth of the gospel. That was the, the evidence, right, that they had been given faith, right? Which happened? Was it keeping the law or by the spirit of faith? And so it says, it came by faith. So why are you trying to go back and add in something that it didn't start in? Right? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, that you are now made perfect by the flesh, right? begun in the spirit. In John 4, 23 and 22, it talks about that God is calling us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? John 4, 23. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Right? And she's questioning, you know, do we have to worship in the mountains, which is where the Samaritans thought it was proper to give sacrifices? Do you have to go to Jerusalem, which is the only spot the um, Jews were authorized to it? He says, but the hour cometh, and now in, now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, so it is by the indwelling Holy Spirit that we are able to worship God. All right. We know from Hebrews eleven sixteen it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? He gives you the Holy Spirit. By his own working, you can't it's not appeal to him that willeth or him that runneth, but he gives it. You can't see where it comes or goes. It's like the wind, is how he would describe it. John Jesus would describe it in John to Nicodemus. And with that he gives you faith. You are able to please God, you're able to worship God, to worship him not only in spirit, but in Truth, And that's very much what this letter is about. He said that the Spirit came when you heard about the, the truth of Jesus Christ. Right? That's the correlation. Not when you were keeping the law. So why are you trying to add this into it? All right? Are you going to be made perfect by the works of the flesh? All right? 
Have ye suffered so much, so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? So there had been some persecution. There had been some cost to these followers of Christ, even here in this Gentile nation. Well, you know among the Jews, if you were a follower of Christ, you were hated. Well, that's, that's true in the Gentile world as well, right? You remember over in Ephesus, they worshipped the goddess of Diana, right? And they were really upset that there were Christians there saying that this is not a god, right? They were really upset their pocketbook was going to be harmed because they were silversmiths and made these little idols, right? But they were ticked that someone would dare to say the thing that they believe in isn't true, right? And at this time, stoning folks who disagree with you was a lot more common, right? And so they were suffering persecution. He says, have you suffered so many things in vain, right? You started off on the good path and you were willing to bear these costs, but now as you're changing, I mean, was, it, was, was it just worthless? Did you do it for nothing? All right. He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And so you have this, this dichotomy, right? The one that is the, the doing that I have to do in order for it to be enough. And the other is, this is what Christ has done. All right? And the channel that I have that connects me to that is the faith that he's given me. All right? Am I doing it, or did he do it? Is he my representative, my full head, or somehow do I have to do something else to make myself good enough? Right? That's, 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 the, that's the two two ends of the spectrum, and you can't have a mixture of them because the mixture of that becomes the doing. Right? Anything you add to just the pure grace of Jesus Christ's work, if you've got to do something else to make it effective, then it becomes just a doing. Right? Doing of the law. And so now... You know, he's already demonstrated that he's, you know, he's got more knowledge of the Old Testament than they do. He, he, he lived out as a Jew. He didn't advocate for it. He's dealt with this issue multiple times, both in his home church um, and with an apostle who came to visit and caused problems. And now he's really, I mean, Apostle Paul wrote like a lawyer. And in this chapter 3, he brings down a legal smackdown where he goes, all right, you want to you wanna be followers of the law? Let's go look and see what the law says. And he goes to the Old Testament, rather, and points out, here's how even in the Old Testament, what I'm telling you is true. And it was already being pointed forward. All right. So, even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted him for righteousness. So God never said, Abraham, you're righteous because you followed my circumcision requirement. Right? But before that... When God had made promises to him and God had given him Abraham the faith to believe him, right? He uh, said to him, and this is Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, if you want to go see, he's, he's, he's quoting or referencing there, is that Abraham believed what God said. God gave him these promises of what he was going to do. Old man, you've got no children, but I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. All right? You tell that to a 90 year old today. Right? I've got no credibility. There's no reason for you to believe me in that, but. God told Abraham, old man, you're going to have these mighty children, and I'm going to give them this land. It's going to be theirs, right? And he believed them. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And so, yeah, is that a doing of the law, or is that more like faith, right? Faith of, of, of God and trusting him that he will do what he says he'll do. All right? Know ye, therefore, so that's the first example. So know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith, the origin is faith. Where is it? Where? Where do we stem from the family of God? It stems from that faith. Know that ye therefore, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. 
right? The Jews took a lot of pride that they were a natural descendant of Abraham. And so he's telling here these Gentiles, do you not understand that if you have been given faith from God, then it, you are in the family of Abraham. Not naturally, not genetically, but of the family of faith, of the family of grace, of that which God has built and stitched together. The same are the children of Abraham. You know, there's a little children's song of uh, many sons have Father Abraham. That used to really confuse me. I'm not a son of Father Abraham, right? And in a natural sense, no, I'm not. But in this sense, that we're all a family of God, then yeah. So maybe that'd be too, too high level for a kid's song. I don't know, but... All right. Verse 8, and the scripture, right? Again, he's quoting another scripture. It's Genesis 12 and 3. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So he's revealing again, this is not a new concept. It wasn't plain in the Old Testament, but here's where it's pointing to it that God knew he was going to justify. Jews and Gentiles, right, through faith. And so he told, before the gospel was ever preached, like they've heard the full gospel now of Jesus Christ and what's done, before that was revealed to Abraham, the scripture was said, in thee shall all nations be blessed. All nations, right? That gets you over to Revelation of every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue, right? All of that are going to be um, blessed in connection with Abraham. And that's through faith, right? So then, they which be of faith are blessed, with faithful Abraham. So you got the of faith. That's describing a group of people, right? The ones the Father gave to His Son, right? For as many are under the works of the law are under the curse, all right? So He's going to look at the other side, all right? So let's, you want to examine the Old Testament. You want to follow that. What's the result if you're under the law? As many as under the law are under the curse. Why do you say that? Well, it's written. This is quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All right? It's tempting to add in the law and say, well, you must keep this. And look, these are the ones that I've chosen out of the law, and I keep them good, and so I look pretty good. Right? That's not how the law works. Right? If you're under the law and you're trying to determine your righteousness, you must look at every single thing for every single moment without pause, and you must keep them all. Can any of us do that? No! Right? Not a shot! Not for a day, not even for a moment. All right? No chance. And so therefore, under the law, we all have the same sentence. Cursed. Cursed. The wages of sin are death, cursed, eternal death. That's, that's what the law gives you. All things, uh, verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law. No man is rendered just or shown to be just by the law. And he's quoting the Old Testament here. He says, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Right? That's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. And your fun little minor prophets, you know, does Paul know his, his Old Testament? Yeah. The just shall live by faith. Is there any living under the law? Yeah, if you do them all. Can man do it? No. The just shall live by faith. Again, pointing to the work of Jesus Christ. The one that we're, he, is our, he is our figurehead. He is the atonement. The you know, only shot we have is not of us doing, but of what he did. Okay? 
and the law is not of faith. He said, you know, the just shall live by faith. He's saying that's not talking about the law. The law is not of faith, right? In order to be under the law, the man that doeth them shall live by them, right? Adding in the law to my life, okay, I've got to do them all. If that's what you're going to to say, I am righteous, well, one, you're fooling yourself, all right? Because you have to do them all in order to live by them. So we can't. But rather, we are under the law. We're, we're, we're cursed, cursed by it. The wages of our sin is death. But verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeem means to, to buy back, to ransom, to save from loss. All right, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Is that curse rightly upon our head? Yeah, we earned it. Lock, stock, and barrel. But he's redeemed it. He's paid that price for us being made a curse. All right? He made a curse. You ever wondered why did he have to be crucified? Why did he have to be nailed on a tree? That's the imagery for being made a curse. And that goes back to Deuteronomy 21 and 23, where this is Moses. You know, Deuteronomy is the recap book. Moses has given the law. He's now at the end of his age. He's kind of telling them all again because that first generation that, that heard God speaking, they all died. So you got their kids are now the leaders of that church of that you know, group. They're hearing the law again. And he said, and that cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Right. So why did Jesus have to be crucified on a cross? Why did he have to be nailed on a tree? It was because of this imagery right here of showing that he was becoming a curse for us. He is bearing that curse that we should have borne. He took it upon himself. Why did he do that? That the blessing of Abraham, that promise that was given to Abraham, might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then he's going to describe a natural example. He says, brethren, I speak after the manner of men. And when Paul says that, he's saying, I'm going to give you a, a natural example. This is what men will tell you. All right? Even in, in your business world, though it be but a man's covenant, covenant, promise, contract, could be a will. So if a man makes a contract, if it be confirmed, no man annulleth or addeth thereto. All right, so I sit down and I write a contract in my office. If it's just sitting there on my computer and it has not been signed yet, has it been confirmed? No, it's not binding yet. So to confirm means it goes into effect, all right? So, but if I've typed up that contract, party A is signed and party B is signed, you now have a contract. Can A come to it and say, well, I'm going to add this paragraph in? No, right? Can B say, no, that don't count. We're going to throw it away. No, it's, it's in effect, right? This is a natural way for, for contract law. A and B agree. It's documented. It's confirmed. This is now a binding contract. Neither one can unilaterally on one side, walk away. He said, that's true of men. All right, now take that example to a grand scale and listen to what God has done. It says, now to Abraham and his seed, singular, were promises made. All right, God made promises to Abraham, it says, and to his seed. Who's that seed referring to? Christ himself. All right, he says, it's not um, plural as in many, but of one, and to thy seed Christ. So Abraham and Christ had seeds, had promises made to him. And this I say of that covenant. So that covenant, that promise, that contract that God made with Abraham, all right, it was already confirmed. And that word um, confirmed before, the idea is that that was confirmed way back because it was confirmed to Christ. When were those promises confirmed to Christ? Before the world was even made. All right? That covenant of grace that the Father and the Son entered into, 
when he gave them the people and he knew what was going to happen, that there was a promise made that those people will be with you in glory. All right? So it was already confirmed before he revealed it to Abraham. All right? So if you've got a promise that has been made and confirmed, can the law then change it? The law came many, many, many years later. And that 430, that's, that's referencing back to uh, the time uh, in Exodus... Uh, let's see, let me find that verse for you. Exodus 12 and 40 and 41, when they're coming out of Egypt, since they're sojourning there, it had been 430 years. When you start counting that 430, I'm not sure. A lot of folks want to argue about it. But the point is, is that the promises that were made to Abraham and then later given to Isaac again and to Jacob again directly by God, they were made. Can something all these years later change that? Says so in your natural example, could it? No. Well, in God's example, in God's the reality, that the law doesn't change those promises either. For if the inheritance um, be of the law, it's no more the promise. So if you could earn your way to heaven by the law, then what was the point of the promise? That promise given to Abraham and to all the Gentiles, those availed in all the nations, right? That promise was made to you and me. If you had to then have the law, what was the point of it before? The truth is, is that it's not of that. There's no inheritance that can be earned by the law. God gave it to Abraham by promise. All right, That promise that is an announcement of divine good favor. All right? It was gratuitously given. All right? There's nothing that Abraham could do to earn it. All right? It was just given to him. All right? It wasn't do this and then. All right? It was who's given it. So 19 says, then what's the purpose of the law? Wherefore serveth the law? In, 19, in verse 19 it says, It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and by it ordained, and it was ordained by the angels in the hands of the mediator, in the hands of a mediator. All right? The purpose of the law is it's going to teach us about sin. It's going to teach us how big of sinners we are. If you don't understand the truth of God and how holy He is, you can get the delusion that you're pretty good. All right? Anything that's good in me is because God is doing it. All right? The Holy Spirit, He gets all credit for that. Anything that's sorry and rotten and low down, I get full credit for that. I can't put my opinion of God high enough and I can't put my opinion of myself low enough. Right? But that's the purpose of the law. It was added because of transgressions. And it was going to be there as a teacher until that seed, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Right? Remember, that's Christ. Was, the promise was made to him way before the foundation of the world. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. What's that talking about? It's talking about the law. Right? Prescribed by uh, angels. As Moses is there on Mount Sinai, if you go look in uh, Deuteronomy 32 and 12, you'll have a glimpse into the fact that God was there with ten thousands of his angels at the same time. Alright? And so in the hand of a mediator. Who is that mediator under the law? Moses. He was a go-between. If you have to have a go-between under the law, well, what's the role of a mediator? It's to help sort out a dispute between two aggrieved parties. Right? And so if God is an aggrieved party and you have to have a mediator, does that sound like something like a promise where there is reconciliation? Does that sound like there's, there's a dispute? It's teaching you how far down we are. You're like, man, John, this is, this is some heavy stuff. 
Yeah, it is. And I don't know a way to make it any lighter other than just tell you this is what Paul is writing about to these Galatians because they've been deceived. They weren't ready to stand fast for the truth of the word. They had allowed someone to come in and change things from what Scripture says, and they, they didn't have the full Scripture to, to, to verify it against now like we do. Um, and so they were blown off the mark, and he's having to come in and teach them again, right? So they don't add in that which isn't there. So here, here's your plain takeaway, because I know this is, this is a lot, and it's probably enough for anybody to chew on in one day, is that we need to have some zeal and some urgency in being rooted and grounded in the Word of God, all right? I need to have some urgency as I teach you. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow. And I know the Lord's going to continue to look after you. But could someone come in here and teach you things that are wildly different from the truth? Yeah, that could happen. And so I want y'all to be rooted and grounded enough to be able to go, to have the skills to go back and look at the Word and to be discerning, right? Not the foolish one who who is not discerning and unable to see the difference when people are lying in wait and cunning and crafty. I mean, there's, there's some intentionality in this world of false teachers. There, you would be amazed. You go read the New Testament, the Gospels to the end, the number of references to false teachers. It's pretty scary. Now, I know that I'm accountable to God for everything that I teach you. And so far, I've got a clear conscience that to the best of my ability, I'm teaching you everything I know to be in accordance with God's Word. But I can't say that for other folks. And so I need y'all to grow up into Christ and that and your scriptures should not just be something that's passive and you know listened to you know once a week, but that you are ingesting it, if you will, I mean the bread of life, that you are in daily communion with the Lord so that you can be rock solid and stable. And not blown about, right? In Ephesians, we're talking about speaking the truth in love, that we grow up, that we not be uh, changed back and forth by the wind of doctrine and the slight of men and cunning craftiness. And I think that was Paul's urgency here to these, is that they'd been blown way off course, and he can't be there. He couldn't get there to go and teach them. He probably had a desire to be there and change his voice. I think that's what it says later, to change his voice so they would know how serious and grave this was of when they're just trying to make little tweaks Right? little thing to make the sting go out, right? You know, seen any churches in your lifetime make changes to make the sting go out, right? Things to make it more palatable for folks outside the church. Is this, is this a, a fun topic? Not really. But is, as followers of Christ, don't you want to stand for the truth? best of our knowledge and understanding and and recognizing that our knowledge and understanding is incomplete and we need to constantly be refining it by the word. That's enough for today. Thank you all for your time and attention. Anybody have a number you'd like to see in closing?